Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now... um, You don't get Bobby today. I know it's a disappointment, but I'm happy to be here. Uh, As she said, my name is Bane Angles, and... I want to make sure I don't get between there and cause a feedback. I'm good. Either way, I'm good. Am I good? As long as I'm on the right of the TV. I can do that. Okay, you people over here, I get to be closer to you. Um, I'm Bane Angles, and I'm very happy to be here. Got my daughter, Karis, my 10-year-old over here with us. Uh, Everybody be nice to Karis, because... I love her bunches. <laughs> uh, I'm from, uh, we live in Roanoke Rapids, and I've been preaching at First Christian there for the last 14 years, and a year ago, I transitioned to being full-time at Mid-Atlantic Christian University in Elizabeth City, and I get to teach fun things like preaching and spiritual formation, how do you grow in Christ, and discipleship, things like that, and New Testament theology, I get to do all that. I'm also the director of our uh, educational partnerships, which includes uh, we have a campus in Rwanda, and I'm in charge of that, so I get to find the professors for that and get to go to Rwanda a couple times a year and teach, and, and I, I get to interact with Rwandans all the time, which is a lot of fun, so if you want to know about that, ask me afterwards. Uh, I love my friends in Rwanda. Uh, I also get to work with our dual enrollment and with agreements with other colleges, and as of last week, I'm also the um, uh, director of church, church partnerships, so I get to... Uh, help with everything with that too. So um, so in between preaching about, I don't know, 50 Sundays a year uh, with churches and what I do at the school and what I do at the church, I'm busy but I'm blessed and I'm awful happy to be here with you all today. I just want to say thank you for the grace that not only you've shown me, but uh, looking at how well our, the tech team and the worship team handled things this morning. Uh, because there were technical difficulties, which is just part of using technology. Uh, we all know that. We all hate it when it happens. But they handled it with such grace and, and, and really did well with it. And I really appreciate that because sometimes uh, we have a tendency not to be our best selves when things don't go the way we want them to. When we have a plan and that plan doesn't go as we want. But I'm convinced that even through that, God works in tremendous ways. Uh, I think we worshiped together, and, and I enjoyed it. What about you? Um, I, I enjoy hearing God's Word proclaimed through song and hearing God's Word in, uh, in the Scriptures. I enjoy the, the story we heard and celebrating together the Lord's Supper. It is good to be with you this morning. And as we continue in the Gospel of Mark, and I love Mark, if you... If you've studied the four Gospels, you know they're so different. Every Gospel has a different purpose. It has a different viewpoint. The same Jesus, but four different ways that you can see him. Uh, In Matthew, it's for the Jewish people, and there's all these stories that try back to the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. And you can see the parallels, just as Moses went up on the mountain and he taught. He's the great teacher. And he said, there will be one who comes after me who will be greater than me. And Jesus goes up onto the mountain and teaches. There's five sermons that Jesus preaches in the Gospel of Matthew, just like there are the five books of Moses. We could keep going with that. With Luke, 
In Luke, it's for the Gentiles. It's for those of us who were not born Jews, and perhaps you don't know the stories of the Hebrew Bible. But there's this great movement where Jesus cares about the people who everybody else seems to not care about. It's for the disenfranchised. It's for the ones who are left behind in many ways. And Jesus reaches out to them. He's a storyteller. He tells these wonderful parables in which we can learn from him. And, and through it, we grow closer to who God really, really is. And throughout Luke, we see that he is, in many ways, his whole journey it is to show us about how much God truly loves us. And then there's John, which is just so different than the others. He gives the view from above, you might say, and he's your theologian. You heard him quoted this morning. I mean, he doesn't begin with the preaching of Jesus like Mark does. He doesn't begin with the genealogies or the, the infant story like Matthew and Luke does. No, with John, he goes way back before the beginning of time. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything that was created by him and for him, and nothing that was created was created without him. And he goes from there. It's so different. And then we have Mark, that you all get the privilege of going through verse by verse, which I just love doing. And, and here in Mark, Mark is always moving forward with the story. It, it is an action story. Constantly, Jesus is on the move. Constantly, he's going somewhere. Constantly, he's doing something. And it's powerful. And when we go to chapter 6 of Mark, where we are today, Jesus is going back home. Now, I don't know where you're originally from. I suspect, like me, many of you didn't grow up right here in Nightdale or even in Raleigh. Many of you maybe did. Maybe some of you grew up in the mountains like I did, and you're a hillbilly like me. Or, or maybe you're from the coast or up north or way down south or maybe even on the other side of the world. I don't know. But there's something special about going back home, isn't there? There's always things. I always ask people, if you're from here, where do you want to go back and eat? Because there's always little local places. I'm not talking about, let's go over to Zaxby's. No, I'm talking, what's the local place? What's the place you crave if you're not home? And you go back and you want to go there. Where's the places you want to show people? Who's the people you want to make sure you see? What's the memories that bring it back? Because home is such a powerful thing. And it's beautiful. No matter where I go, people are proud of certain things where they're from. I got to, I've done some teaching in Nicaragua, and they'll tell you very quickly once you get there, we've got a lot of problems, but oh, we've got the best coffee in the world. I say, prove it, because I love coffee. You know, uh, they say, we, we have the most beautiful lakes, because Nicaragua in Spanish, those of you who speak Spanish, you know, it comes from two words. It water, agua there, and, and mountains or volcanoes, and it's a land of volcanoes and lakes, and it is gorgeous. They said, let me show you. And, and one of them, uh, when I got there uh, to teach a class for a couple of weeks, uh, I found a taxi driver. I said, look, I want you to be my taxi driver for the whole time I'm here. Can, can I just contract you for the whole time? He said, sure. You know, because the way they make money is they have to charge X amount. Anything over that's theirs to keep. And I said, you know, I can, I can pay you a reasonable rate. By American standards, it was crazy cheap. By their standards, he thought that was pretty good. So he was my guide the whole time. And on the Saturday that was his birthday, he had a day off. For the first time in six months, he had a day off. And he said, on my day off, I want to show you Nicaragua. I want to give you a tour. And I said, how much? He said, no, 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 I won't charge you a thing. You just, just, just go with me. And his fiance, who didn't speak a word of English, which was fun because my Spanish is not amazing, 
uh, by any means, it went with us. And we toured all over the place. And he was so proud to show these places. See, home is special. But it also can be very hurtful, can't it? Have you ever been rejected? I think we all have. And it comes from all different stages of life. If I've learned anything in 20 plus years of ministry and working for universities and, and working for schools and, and so forth, here's two things you can be sure of. You will deal with criticism. If you're going to do anything of any significance, you're going to upset somebody. I had a conversation just this past week with the elders at the church where, where, where we attend there, and, and there was this discussion of whether we should, uh, actually it had to do with a mural. And the discussion was, should we have this mural that's been paid for by a grant? Won't cost us anything. Professional artists do it and such. Should we do it? And one of them said, well, it'll upset somebody. And I said, no matter what we do, it upsets them. You know, that's reality. That's part of dealing with life. Doesn't matter. People love to complain, don't they? They love to be upset about something. If you're on social media, and I'm not sure any of us really should be at this point, but if you're on social media... You know that people love to complain about everything. And we all feel like we have a right to tell everybody about how we feel about everything. And you've got that political right. I'm just not sure it's edifying to everybody. And I've met people that seem to think, what's your spiritual gift? Well, my gift is giving. Well, hallelujah. My gift is faith. Well, that's wonderful. There's a gift that you have to sing and lead worship, which is amazing and wonderful. I wish I had it. And then there's others who seem to think their spiritual gift is criticism. My gift is to tell others what they need to hear. You know the type? Maybe you are the type. I don't know. But I'm quite sure that I haven't read in the Gospels where Jesus said what you should do. Because Jesus said, you'll know you, they are, you are my disciples how? They'll know you're my disciples how? Well, yeah, according to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 35, he says, they'll know that you are, a new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. They will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Right? He didn't say, they'll know you're my disciples by how much you know. Well, that's good. It's good to have knowledge, and it's good to, especially to know what God's Word says. But there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing things. Wisdom is being able to put it into practice. That's two very different things. And I've met plenty of people who know a lot, but aren't very wise. <laughs> what about you? He didn't say, they'll know you're my disciples by the way you criticize everybody around you. No. And here's the reality. As you read through the Gospels, any of the four, you're going to find very quickly that Jesus dealt with criticism on a continual basis. Constantly, people are upset with him. Now keep this in mind. Jesus was perfect. Now, you may think you're perfect, but you're not. In, for, in, in fact, 1 John chapter 1 says, anyone who says he is without sin is a liar, and the truth of God is not in them. We are far from perfect. We make mistakes all the time. If you don't believe me, you can call and talk to my wife. I make mistakes all the time. She doesn't mind reminding me of that, you know? After 21 years of marriage, I understand this. Yes, dear, you're right. You're right. These are important words to learn. You're right. But none of us are perfect, but Jesus was. And i got to think that if you grew up with Jesus, in one way, that would be absolutely amazing, wouldn't it? For your older brother to be Jesus. In another way, i got to think it would be kind of challenging. I mean, think about it. 
You go to school and they say, well, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? He never messed up. He always did the right thing. Well, I'm not Jesus. I'm Jude. You know, I'm James. Or, or the parents. I can't, I, you know, should you compare your children? No. Do you compare your children? Eh, sometimes. You know, because they're all different. And they're made different in the image of God. They're made beautifully, but they're different. My oldest child, on the way here, we discussed, she wanted, you know what she wanted to talk about? You can close your ears here if you want to, honey. She wanted to talk about Greek mythology. And I said, wow, this is awesome. You know what my youngest one wants to talk about? Where's the best grilled cheese? Where can I find the best grilled cheese in the world? You know, who has the best mac and cheese? You know, these are the things she's concerned about, and baby dolls and all kinds of things. Every child is different, and that's okay. They have different things. But if, you're, if your child is Jesus, i, I got to think it's kind of hard on some of the others. And you've already seen in the Gospel of Mark, there's one time, you've already seen it in the text a few weeks back, I suspect, where it said when Jesus came for the first time and taught in his hometown, his mother and his brothers were there, and they wanted to capture him because they thought he was crazy. Here, this guy I grew up with is claiming things that no man should claim. No one. And just like we would, if my brother, I have one brother, he lives in Withville, Virginia, and if one day I heard my brother is claiming to be the son of God, we're going to have a problem. Because I know he is not the son of God. He is the son of Bobby Angles. And Bobby Angles was nothing like God. You know? I know this. I, I grew up with him. <laughs> And so they were concerned, let's say. Well, in Mark chapter 6, it tells us that Jesus came back to his hometown, Jesus of Nazareth. And he brought his disciples with him. And being the Sabbath, he began to teach in the Sabbath. And you think about this son who has left, this little town. It's a small little town, Nazareth. In fact, in the ancient literature, it's never even mentioned by any of the Romans. It's never mentioned by any of the Jewish rabbis. This is a city no one's ever heard of. It's kind of like often where I'm from. I tell them I'm from Tazewell, Virginia. Ever heard of it? No. That's okay. It's north of, of Bristol. Heard of Bristol. Yeah. How about Roanoke? We're a little ways from Roanoke. How about that? You know, it, it was one of those little towns nobody ever heard of. There's nobody famous from there. And now he's coming back home. And you would think, hearing about the things that he had done, that he is healing the sick, that those who were blind are seeing for the first time in their lives, that those who were lame and unable to walk, he would say, get up, take your mat, and walk. The faith of your friends in that case has brought you to this place. Go and sin no more. Can you imagine hearing about how Jesus is teaching and everybody who heard him said, I've never heard anybody like this before. This guy's amazing. He doesn't teach like the others, like the rabbis who come and quote all these other rabbis. No, he speaks with authority. And he comes back and he begins to teach. And you imagine they're in the synagogue in this small little place of worship. This group of people are together. And Jesus gets up and he begins to teach. How do you react to it when Jesus begins to teach? Well, here's what it says about him. He began to teach in the synagogue, and the listeners were astonished. Now, you would think from that, they're astonished because this is good stuff. I've never heard anybody preach like Jesus. 
This, this man is amazing. But that's not why they're astonished. Look what it says here. It says, they were astonished saying, where did this, this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as performed by his hands. They're confused. Is this not the carpenter? The son of Mary? You know, we don't recall Jesus going off to get some education, do you? He wasn't like Saul of Tarsus, who at a young age was identified to be an incredible mind, who we call the Apostle Paul. And because he had an incredible mind, they sent him to Jerusalem to learn. And when he got there, he was such an incredible teacher that he was chosen by one of the greatest teachers of the day, Gamaliel, to learn under him. No, that didn't happen with Jesus. No, he was a simple carpenter. Carpenters is certainly a, in the ancient world and today, a very good thing to do. We all need carpenters. And in that part of the world, as a carpenter, you'd also do stonework. You do basic maintenance type things. He, he could do all kinds of things, I expect. But you don't expect him to be an incredible teacher. They say, you are the son of Mary. Maybe that's because Joseph had died. Maybe, as some scholars say, the, the reality is that they said, we know that Joseph wasn't really your dad. We know that story. We know that Mary was with child before you all were married. And you're the son of Mary. Maybe they're being mean. Because people can be so mean, can't they? The words people can use that can tear down so much. We have to be careful with our words, don't we? Your words have the power to build up, to speak life into people, or to tear down and destroy. We have to make it a, a real effort, a real conscious decision that I will use my words, whether in speech or in text or, or on social media or whatever way I have to build people up, to help them to be more than they think they can be, to make a difference in this world. You know, as we were listening to the, and, and joining in in the worship here and hearing this, uh, the, the uh, keyboard being played and the voice there, and I thought, my goodness. You know, it, uh, there was a book written, I, I read a few years back, and it puts forth this idea of the 10,000 hour rule. Maybe you're familiar with it. This guy did a great study of Olympic athletes and tremendous artists and so forth, uh, musicians and so forth. And he came up with what he called the 10,000-hour rule. That for the average person, if you are going to be excellent at something, not just mediocre, not just get by, but really excellent, it takes 10,000 hours of practice. And not just practice, as my little one will tell you, my, my seven-year-old will tell you real quick, does practice make perfect? No, Daddy, perfect practice makes perfect. That's right, baby. You practice the wrong thing, it's going to mess you up. But if you practice the right thing, it'll, it'll pay off. And they found with Olympic athletes, they had spent at least 10,000 hours training for their thing. For musicians, I wonder how many hours has she spent playing piano? How many hours has she spent developing her voice to sound that awesome? You know, how does that happen? And I look at my little one here who, who has been taking piano for the last several months and, and learning it, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard certain stories uh, in, in our house, and how, or certain songs. We have a little piano there that somebody gave us, and she plays the same songs over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Same songs. Why? Because she's learning. Now, I could be a jerk, 
And I could say, Karis, I don't want to hear that. Stop. Especially when she first began. Because when she first began, she didn't know how to play. And when she would try to play, it didn't sound real good. Now it sounded pretty good. And if in the very beginning I'd said, Karis, I don't want to hear that. Or my seven, my, at the time, six-year-old who decided she wanted to play drums. At least she doesn't want to play the accordion, you know. Uh, or, or, or I bought my brother's kids a, a bagpipe because I thought it would be hilarious, you know. <laughs> Let him learn how to play the bagpipes. That would be great, you know. Uh, but in the beginning, if you have these words where you say very negative things, they may give it up for life and never do it again. But with some words of encouragement, that sounds good. You're really getting it. And i got to tell you, the, the improvement from beginning to now is amazing. But to get to this level, oh, it takes a long time. Unless just God just gives you a gift and then we're all sick of it and like, hell in the world, that's not fair. You know, because uh, I know people like that too. we got this guy in our church that can play any instrument. Hey, we, might, we need a violin today. I can do that. We need somebody to play drums. Got it. Piano, got it. Guitar? How about bass? Yep, you can do that. Want to play rhythm? Sure, I can play rhythm. Can you sing it? Uh, have you ever played the uh, harmonic? Oh, yeah, sure. C can you play the zephyr? I haven't, but I'll learn it tomorrow. You know, one of those type guys. But when that happens, we pour into them and something good comes out of it. Now, Jesus comes and they say, we remember who you are. You're the carpenter. Who do you think you are trying to talk like this? You're Mary's son. Aren't you the brother of James? The same one who will write James, this wonderful book of wisdom that we'll get in the New Testament. And uh, Joseph and, and Judas and Simon. Are his sisters here with us? You know, right here? Aren't they in here with us? You did realize Jesus had brothers and sisters. He did. You know, we can call them half-brothers and sisters because uh, Jesus' father was, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, and they took offense at him. That word there, took offense. In the original language, it's where we get our word scandalous. They were scandalized by him. How in the world could you be scandalized by Jesus? He's doing miracles. They're scandalized by him. He's teaching. They're scandalized by it. How could it be? Well, look at our culture. <laughs> Even today, people seem scandalized by who Jesus is, don't they? They seem scandalized by the things he taught. It's nothing new. Humans have not changed. And when they took offense or were scandalized, Jesus said, the prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and his own household. Sometimes... It's very hard to be in front of those who have known you your whole life. I think about even after all these years, and I know I'm still young. i got a lot of years left, Lord willing. But I've been at this a little while, and I remember my very first sermon. Now, it wasn't at my home church. It was, it was at another church. I was a freshman in Bible college. That You take your first class in preaching, homiletics they call it, and, and they send you out. Go preach. And I went and I preached, and it was from uh, Judges, no, it was from Joshua chapter 2, the story of Rahab. Now, i got to tell you, that's not a first, good first sermon to choose. It's, it's just really rough. But uh, nonetheless, that's the one I did because that's what we did in class. And I, and I recall getting up there and how nervous I was and how horrible it was. And these people that know me, but yet could be so critical. And I think of my home church where it took years for them to invite me back. 
because they weren't so sure about this boy that we, knew, we saw growing up. You know, his family wasn't part of the church. Uh, he came, but his mom and dad didn't come. You know, he's the son of a coal miner. I don't know about all this. It took years to have him, have him come back, you know? And sometimes the most critical people in our lives are our own family. It amazes me how cruel some men can be to their wives, how cruel some women can be to their husbands, how cruel some parents can be to their children. Not too long ago, my kids and I were out at a, a splash pad. It was just great. It, it's put on by the city. It's free. You go out there and play. And, and there were lots of people there. They were playing. And there was this lady over here who just kept yelling over and over at, at her, I assume, her kids. And she wasn't very nice about it at all. And afterwards, my little one said, Daddy, that lady wasn't very nice. He didn't mean to do anything wrong. I said, I know, honey. But it's not my place to say anything to her, you know? And I, and I look at how she was treating that little one. And I think, oh, that poor kid. It's going to take a lot of positive in his life to overcome that. And he can, but it's going to take a lot. And here, the people who knew Jesus his whole life are rejecting. He said, it's how it is. It's not just me. That's the way it is. And it, and, and it says this weird verse, verse 5. Notice what it says. And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. Two times in the scriptures it says that Jesus marveled or wondered. One time was in uh, Matthew chapter 7 where it says the centurion, he wondered or marveled at the faith of this man who is not a Jewish person, a, a Roman centurion, military leader, and here he wonders or marvels at their unbelief. I sometimes wonder as Jesus looks at us, does he marvel at our faith or at our unbelief? And it's, it's interesting here, it says that he did no miracles there except a few, a few things. Why? Because Jesus doesn't force himself upon you. If you want Jesus to make a difference in your life, you've got to come to him. He doesn't say, I'm taking away your free will and I'm going to make you become a better person. If you want to be a better person, you come to Jesus. It's not like you get your life better, then you come to Jesus. No, come to Jesus and let him help you get your life together. You know? Because so often I think in churches, we think of it as like, when you get your life right, come on to church. No, 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 no. Here's the way it works. You're as messed up as you can possibly be. Whatever's going on in your life, we want you here because there's no better place in the world for you to be than the hospital of God. The place where you can find healing. The place where you can find connection. The place where you know we're glad you're here even if you're all messed up. The place where you know you're going to find grace and you're going to find love and you're going to find accountability. A place where we're going to help you to become who you are. The church, when it's right, when we are who we're supposed to be, is the safest place on earth, spiritually and emotionally. It's the safest place on earth. It's the place where you know you need to be. So come, where, however you're at, and we'll help you. But here, they weren't willing. Jesus says, I am willing to give you healing. No, I'll pass. I'll give you the peace that you've been searching for in so many different ways, but no, I'll pass. You're just a carpenter. It's amazing how we can judge people by the way they look. We can judge people by their careers. 
We can judge people by their families. We can judge people by their past, but God doesn't do that. God looks at the heart. He, he sees the potential. And so with Gideon, for instance, in the Old Testament, in the, in the uh, Judges, this morning my little one is, is in a little play they're going to do, uh, acting out the story of, of Gideon and Gideon being called to God. And, and she said, Daddy, they're having, me play, they're having me play a boy. And she had a dress on. She said, you think a boy would wear this? I said, probably not, baby, but you're awful cute. Just go with it, you know? It'll be fine. You know, and, and when God's, when, when the angel of the Lord appears and speaks to Gideon, he says, mighty warrior. Why? Gideon is hiding from the enemy. He's afraid, but he calls him mighty warrior. Not because he's fighting battles, but because he knows who he can be. And God looks at you and he sees you where you're at right now. And he says, I know that you can be so much more than what you are right now. Don't you understand that you are made in the image of God? That if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And the Spirit, the Spirit of God casts out fear and gives faith. And the Spirit of God gives you the gifts you need to go do things that you never dreamed you could do. And in fact, if you've got enough humility, you realize it's got nothing to do with me. It's everything with what God does. This is the God we serve. Who says, I want to make you more than you can be. And as I look around and I see that it's this morning watching when the kids come in, and I love having the kids in here with us. I love the kids. And, 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 I, and I look at the potential. And I think this child may be a world changer. You don't know it. It doesn't matter what their background is. What matters is what their future is. And we're going to be a part of that. Now back to our story. Right after this, I'm not going to read it to you, but right after this, Jesus sends out the twelve. Two by two, he sends them because he realizes God never intended us to do this alone. So often, especially I think us men, we think, I got this. I got it. No, you don't. You need somebody beside you. You need somebody to hold you accountable. You need somebody to drive you on. Two are better than one. You could do a lot more work with two than you can individually. God knows that we need that encouragement. And throughout the Word of God, we see this problem that especially, I think, men have. Moses cries out to God, and he says, God, why are these stiff-necked people so hard to deal with? We let them out of Egypt. They've seen your power, but all they do is complain. Oh, I wish that I, I, I just wish I was never even born, Moses says. And, and in essence, God graciously lifts him back up. And then he, with the wisdom of his father-in-law, Jethro says, don't you realize God didn't say you got to do this all by yourself? No, no, no. You've got lots of people who are willing to help. Just let them. I think of Elijah. Elijah, the great prophet. In James, it says we have the same, the same continence, the same type of person, that, that Elijah was a man just like us. And you think, well, <laughs> I don't know about that. Elijah prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years uh, and he prayed and then it did rain I, just like him the Bible says that, that Elijah went up on a mountain and there he fought the spiritual battle with the false prophets and they set up an altar and tried to call down their, the lightning from their gods and of course nothing happened and after the time, he brought down the true power of God. But God brought it down through him. And afterwards, there was a battle in which he won the physical battle after winning the spiritual battle. 
Do you know what he does right after that? He goes on an ultra marathon run down to the other side of the country, some 120 miles away, and he lays down and he says, I wish I could just die. Why are you so angry, Elijah? See, because I'm convinced, as one who has struggled with depression at times, a lot of depression is caused because we're angry. And we've internalized that. I think we men do that a lot. I know women do as well, but we men tend to do it a lot. And he had internalized it. And God sent an angel. And that angel ministered to him, and he asked him, why are you so angry? And he said, I do all these great things for God. And I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Nobody else cares. And in time, he gets to meet with God. What an incredible thing. And he, t- he whines to God the same thing. And then God says, you have no idea what you're talking about. I've got 7,000 in Jerusalem you know nothing about. And then he gave him Elijah to be with him for the rest of his life. God never intended us to do this alone. So he sends him out. Jesus sends him out two by two. And he says, you're going to have power to do things that you never dreamed you could do. You're going to be able to cast out demons. You're going to be able to do miracles in my name for my sake. And he says, you will come across some people who will reject you. And what are you to do? Well, shake it off. Shake off the, the soil from your sandals and keep on going. Don't let it bother you. Now, that sounds so easy, but it's hard. How do you deal with rejection? How do you deal with criticism? In the Word of God, it's, we see it throughout. I mentioned Moses. I mentioned Elijah. They knew what it was like. Certainly, any great leader you can look at in the history of God's people, whether it be in the Old Testament, whether it be in the New Testament, whether it be ever since then, they've dealt with real criticism and rejection. The Apostle Paul knew what that was like in a very powerful way. Here's a man who had risen the ranks in the Jewish leadership but gave it all up because he encountered Jesus. And when you have a meeting with Jesus, it changes everything. And on the, mount, on the road to Damascus, he encounters God, Jesus, the one he thought was a, a liar. And he understands now he is truly Lord, the one he was fighting against, and he becomes his greatest warrior of the time, the greatest theologian the world has ever known uh, in, in the church, uh, the greatest teacher I think uh, the church has ever produced because God called him and used him. And he dealt with criticism all the time. For instance, at Corneth, you've read First and Second Corinthians, I suspect. At Corneth, here's a church that he planted. He gave them everything. He stayed there for the longest of any of his ministries, and he poured into them. But, oh, my goodness, they were hard to deal with. At one point, he says, you know, I've been shipwrecked three times. We know there was actually a fourth time after he wrote that. I've been stoned and left for dead. I've been beaten 39, 39 stripes two different times. I've been rejected, I've been left out, I've been rejected by my own people, rejected by the others. Everywhere I go, people want to beat me up, basically is what he says. It's horrible. But you know the worst thing I've ever dealt with is you people. I love that. You know, he says, you people are so difficult that I'd rather be shipwrecked than have to deal with you. But I do, because God says I do, so let me tell you. And he writes them two letters, and that's in 2 Corinthians, and uh, that he gets a little more blunt. And he's defending his own ministry. And he gives us some pointers, he says, that I think are are, are really true for all of us. And I think that as we look at how Jesus dealt with it, there's a few things to keep in mind. Criticism and rejection is inevitable. It's part of life. People will let you down. Don't be confused. Because we're people, and we mess up. Don't expect people to be Jesus, because they're not. 
but do your best to be like Jesus. Criticism and rejection is inevitable. Jesus said, as long as you're in this world, there will be trouble. That people will reject you if you stand up for me. That's true. It's more real to my friends in Nicaragua and my friends in Rwanda than it is for us here. Or when I was in India. I was in India teaching a couple of years ago. <laughs> what fool goes to India in 2020 and teaches? You know. In, in March of 2020, I went to India and, and taught. My wife said, what are you doing? I said, I told them I'm going to come teach. I got to go. They got this whole group of people. There's 40 of them coming to learn. You can't. She said, do you know what's going on? I said, I know what's going on, but I got to go. So I went. And, and I taught. And when I was there, they said, we need you to be very careful. Don't put anything on social media of what you're doing here. Because it'll get us in trouble. And they told me this story of this guy who had come. And he wasn't a preacher, but he was one who had given to the ministry there and supported them. And, and they had some baptisms. Now, baptisms here, I love baptisms. The, the symbolism of new life dead to the old person, alive in Christ. It's, it's beautiful. The, the indwelling of the Spirit, identifying with Christ, and so on. But in India, at least in that part of India, in southern India, what it says to the people is, I am rejecting Hinduism and now I'm a Christian. No ifs, ands, or buts. This is the mark of demarcation. You express faith in Christ, fine. In their mind, we got, a, we got you know, 100 million gods, that's another good for you. But when you're baptized, that is the mark of demarcation. This is the line you cross, and it's going to cause you problems. Because when they see that, you are rejecting your family. You are rejecting your culture. There, there's real problems. And he said, they had this guy come, and, and they told him, they said, you can't be a part of this or get us in trouble. We, we're going to do the baptisms. You just kind of stay off to the side. And somebody took some pictures of the baptisms, which is wonderful and it's good. And off to the side, you could see this guy. Well, the local government saw him in the picture, and now they banned him from the country. He can never come back to India again because they saw him in a picture where somebody was getting baptized. Now, we don't deal with that here. Thank God we don't deal with that here. But we do deal with some criticism, don't we? We do deal with some rejection. Sometimes when we stand up for what's right and what's good, the world will be upset. Don't be surprised by that. This is inevitable and we don't fight like the world fights Jesus didn't fight back with the earthly things he didn't come to them and say fine you reject me let me show you the power of God remember when James and John the sons of thunder when Jesus was rejected and they said Lord should we call down lightning upon this place no no boys you're missing a point that's not why we're here we don't fight like that no, Paul said the fight we have is spiritual. And we fight with spiritual things. We pray. We share the good news. We don't, we don't act like the others. We don't slander others because it brings no good. We don't gossip because it doesn't help anything. We don't intentionally tear people down and try to hurt them, even if they're doing that. We do what's right. We don't fight in that wrong way. We listen to what they say, and we, we think about it. Jesus heard the, the, over and over the Pharisees would come at him and he would have wisdom to speak back to them. Paul, the, the, he defended himself in his ministry and ultimately he's defending Christ. But even that, he had enough wisdom to know this. If you wouldn't go to somebody for wisdom, don't worry about how they criticize you. You get what I'm saying? 
I see a wise person, and they come to me, and they say, Bane, what you said there wasn't quite right. I'm going to listen to that because I know that they're coming from a place of truth and of love. But if you're coming from a place that has nothing to do, because I know that you've got a lot of growth to do, I'm going to smile, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to move on because that's what we need to do. Figure out who it is, listen, and if you need to change, change. But if you don't, keep moving. Jesus didn't say, oh, my family says I shouldn't be doing this. Oh, I, I, I just give it up. I'll go back and be a carpenter. You know? He, he said, I'll listen to those I need to. You got to understand the truth will prevail because God is truth. And as we read the book of Revelation, and I love Revelation, that as we book, read the book of Revelation, I think we've misinterpreted it too often. We make it, we think it's all about gloom and to scare us. No, no, no. It's to give us hope. God wins. Revelation 19 says that those who are, who are in Christ, and, and when he comes back on the white horse, and, and he comes back to set all things to right, and he has upon him a name which no man named, knows, and several verses down it says what that is. He is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. No one else has the right to have that name, that there'll be many behind him coming with him. You are going to ride with Christ. You're going to go into this spiritual battle with him if you were in heaven at that time. So that, that's tremendous. We know he's going to win. Satan will be cast down into the lake of fire. Those who have, who have done horrible things in this world and think they got away with it, God's going to set it right. Don't you worry. That's the point of Revelation. And we could go all through it. But the point is with it that we know God is in control. We know the end of the story. And no matter what this world may bring, no matter what family may say, no matter what friends or so-called friends might say, we know what the truth is. And the truth will set you free. That's it. And we know what the ultimate goal is. See, Jesus, what sets Jesus apart is he is the son of God. He is perfect. And another thing that I think sets him apart that is so different than most of us, most of us have so many different ways we're looking at things, right? We have many desires, and they're going in different directions, and we want to do this, we want to do that. But Jesus, as it says in the Gospel of Luke, where it says he put his eyes like flint to Jerusalem, or as it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. In other words, Jesus knew why he was here and why he was doing what he was doing. He knew the goal, and his goal was to bring salvation to all of us. That's tremendous. That's what it's all about. And with us, no matter what criticism we get, whenever what rejection we get, we got to keep in mind the only one that really ultimately matters that I have to please is God. And if God is pleased with me, I, and I'm doing what God wants me to do, I'm quite convinced my wife and I will have a good relationship. If I am in Christ and in his will and doing what I'm supposed to be, I'm quite sure I'll be the father I need to be. If I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and my eyes are like flint on saying that, God, I want to do your will, not my will. Your will be done, not my will. I'll take the cup that you give me and, and I will do it, I'll drink it all, every bit of it to do who you want us, me to be. If I can do that, I know that whatever critics there are, it's secondary. It doesn't matter because what matters is what God says. And God looked down upon Jesus and he said, this is my son. Listen to him. He is the one I am well pleased in. And I can't help but think about 
all of this that you're going to see, not to give away the story, you probably already know, but as you go through Mark, it leads to a culmination to where it's going to end up at a cross. A horrible thing. Awful. Hard for us to even imagine in our society what cruelty it is to put somebody on a cross. The ultimate of criticism, the ultimate of rejection is right there. The Son of God, the one who is perfect, on a cross, and he looks around, and he's been rejected by the religious officials. He's been rejected by some of his family. He's been rejected or at least criticized by so many others who have no idea what he's really about. And he looks down, and there's very few left there who are going to be there with him. Yes, there's Mary. God bless Mary. In the Gospel of Luke, it says Mary stood through her grief, which is amazing to me. And there was the other Mary, and there were two other ladies. And, and it says there's John, the beloved. All the rest of them have fled. They're afraid. And, and you think about what Jesus did for us, knowing the criticism, and knowing that as it says that the sins of all the world, all the things I've done, all the things you've done, all of the sins of the world was laid upon him. He became the sin offering for us that he laid upon it. And, and even the sky turned dark for three hours. It was dark. Just as for three days it was dark when Moses and God brought about the plagues of Egypt and the plague of darkness. Three days. Here, three hours, it's dark. Just like he's going to be in the grave for three days of darkness, you might say. Three hours. And at the end of it, there's an earthquake, because even the earthquakes, because they know something happened here that is so different. The earth quakes, it's dark, and he cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wow. He understood rejection in a way that I can't. Knowing, quoting Psalm 22 there, the end of the psalm tells us he is victorious. Knowing that everything he was doing there, the reason he was doing this because he knew it had a purpose. See, you can go through the trials of life. You can go through the criticism. You can go through rejection. When you understand that the reason I'm doing this is because I'm following the example of Christ. The reason I'm doing this is because God knows what's best, and I don't, and I can admit that. The reason I'm doing this is because God is so good. So when you, felt, when you deal with criticism and when you deal with rejection, just keep in mind, ask yourself this. Yes, I know it's going to come. It's inevitable. I know there's people who are going to talk. Some are foolish and some are wise, and I'm going to try to discern that. I know that I'm not going to fight back like they fight because I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to follow the example of Christ. And I know the end prize, that this life is so short. It amazes me how time, time goes so quickly. And I look back and see how quickly my children have grown. And I look back and see how long it's been with doing these things. And how did that happen so quickly? But eternity is so long. It's beyond our comprehension. We know what is coming. And because we know what's coming, we can deal with the criticism. We follow the example of Christ. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much because you're so good to us. I thank you that... While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I thank you that though he was rejected, spat upon, mistreated, 
he still endured the cross. And because of that, we have the hope of salvation. Lord, help us to be the people you've called us to be. Help us to be people of hope, of joy, of patience. Help us to show the fruit of the Spirit in a way that is evident to others. And we'll give you all the praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.